us as we open the Word today, but admitting uh, for a moment that our, our sermon today will be a little bit uh, unconventional. It will be a survey throughout the Scriptures of a, uh, a theme, and it's the theme that we just sang about, that God is the Ancient of Days. That title is only used one time in Scripture, and it's in the passage we'll begin with here in Daniel 7. But we'll, we'll understand that God, as the one who is eternal, is talked about throughout the Scriptures and gives us great perspective for the things we face in periods of time to know that God is outside all limitations of time. He is eternal. So let me pray for us as we open the Word uh, and then begin. Our Heavenly Father, Almighty God, I pray that you would open our hearts as we open the Scriptures. Thank you that the Holy Spirit who inspired these words now resides in us if we are believers to illumine our understanding, to encourage our spirit, to convict us of sin, to change our conscience to be more in line with Scripture, to assure us that we are children of God, to remind us of what is right, and to teach us what is true about your character. So as today we look through the Scriptures to see who you are, really a survey of, of you as the character of our God, the Eternal One, would you change our perspective? both on the scriptures, on ourselves, on the world we live in, the situations we face. We are bombarded with error. We are bombarded with lies. We are bombarded with discouragements from the world and even from our own minds and hearts as sinful beings. So today, for the next few moments, we need that to be reversed we need that to be worked against by the power of your word to change our perspective, to change our understanding, to wash the water of, of the word over our minds and hearts. Would you do that with us this morning? Would everything I say be true to the scripture? Would you allow its truth to change our hearts? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As Dan said, I'm on staff at University Baptist Church in Clemson, just down the road a ways. And, and like your church, we've had an interesting year of adjusting to uh, the, the new normals a, a little bit of meeting together and all those things. And I've found that uh, there's been one truth that has encouraged me more than any other in the last few months. If we were to look at a timeline, we could look at this year of a timeline and see this happened in March and this happened in June and this happened in August and look at where we've come and the, the good and the bad and uh, most of us would say mostly bad and all these things of this year. And God works in time, but is not himself bound inside of time. And the only thing that truly gives us encouragement with problems in time is seeing an eternal perspective. And something in Scripture, throughout Scripture, that we actually pass over a good bit is the repeated uh, mentions of God as eternal. The word forever is mentioned throughout the scriptures. 
God as eternal is mentioned throughout the scriptures, and we often pass over it. It becomes so normal to us. Oh, yeah, yeah, forever eternal, all those things. But then the things that consume our minds and hearts are timely matters, are things we face today and remember yesterday and dread for tomorrow. We think in time. That's because we're human. We, we live in time. But as Christians, as believers in the scriptures, as believers in a bigger perspective than just what we see, what should distinguish us? What should be unique to a believer's perspective on our times? It should be that we are able to zoom out and see a larger perspective. Not just a bigger perspective on our situation, but see our God as outside of time completely and completely in control of what is in time. And the title for God that we just sang about that's mentioned here in Daniel 7 is that God is the ancient of days. It's the only time that that title is used is here in Daniel 7. And, but it, it references the eternity of God. We'll talk about what that means in a moment. But I think it's going to give us great perspective today. So if you are someone who takes notes during, uh, during a sermon, let me give you a heads up. Uh, we're not going to go quite as uh, through a text as you normally would, as, as Dan does a great job with every Sunday. In fact, I'm going to be mentioning much scripture today. And I'll email Dan a handout that he can distribute to you all that has all these scripture references on it. So if you don't write them all down, that's okay. But if there's a certain scriptural truth that sticks out to you and you want to write it down, that would be great. You don't need to turn to all the passages even that we look at today. There'll be two main passages, this one and one more that we'll look at in a few minutes I'll have you turn to. But I just want to give you a heads up on that. In times of change, we grow spiritually because we remember and trust our unchanging, almighty God. Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has a vision. A vision of four beasts coming out of the sea here in Daniel 7. These beasts represent four kingdoms. And if you're someone who enjoys biblical prophecy, you might be very excited right now. Daniel 7, he's going to tell us exactly what every symbol means and relate it all to future and past events. We will have to save that discussion for another time. I don't mean to disappoint you. That's a great discussion to have. But in the midst of this vision, we're introduced to a title that Daniel uses to describe God in his authority and eternity. God refer, Daniel refers to God as the Ancient of Days. And seeing God as the Ancient of Days gives Daniel confidence that the Lord will defeat his enemies and that no kingdom of the earth can stand against God's authority. This morning, I'd like to point your attention to the Ancient of Days. And if we see him accurately, as Daniel saw him accurately, on his eternal throne, it will bring us comfort, it'll bring us confidence, and it'll bring us humility. So let's look at Daniel 7. And again, I admit, I'll be reading a lot of scripture today. So stay with us, and it's okay to read along, it's okay to listen. But the reason for that, to let you know, is, as you know, we are bombarded with error on every side. We are bombarded with lies on every side. Six days of the week uh, in, in almost every sphere. We are being challenged 
in our perspective spiritually. So this morning, let it be a time of maybe group meditation on Scripture. We're going to saturate our minds in what is true. Everything we say from Scripture is truth. So when we leave here in a few moments, we will, our perspective, hopefully, will be pointed toward the truth. Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. This is what he saw. He said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. There was four beasts. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. The mind of a man was given to it. Second beast, and behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, a third, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So he sees these four beasts representing four kingdoms of the earth. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But then he transitions. Verse 9, his vision gets a, a little bit different. As I looked, thrones were placed. Thrones, who's going to sit there? And the Ancient of Days took his seat. This is the Almighty God. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. And court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away. But their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Another transition here in verse 13. Another person comes into the picture. I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Jesus, just before his death, claimed to be this son of man. And this son of man came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom 
that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What a vision. Can you imagine getting a dream like this with such clarity of four beasts representing the kingdoms of the earth? You see the Ancient of Days, God the Father, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, comes to him and is granted now ultimate authority over all those kingdoms. The dominion was taken away from those earthly kingdoms and the kingdom given to the Son of Man was one that will never be taken away. God, God gives Daniel this vision, often believed to represent Babylon, Persia, Macedonia, and the Roman Empire, four great kingdoms. But these kingdoms have come and gone. The contrast and the culmination of this vision is a kingdom that never passes away. In verse 9, Daniel goes from looking at the human kings to the divine king. That's what we have to do in 2020 as believers who are experiencing difficulty in time is turn our focus from the earthly dominion of men to the divine eternal rule of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. He says the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white. His hair was white. His throne was a chariot with wheels of fire. It's almost like you're telling a child an exciting fairy tale, except this one's true. Millions of angels stood ready to obey his command. He was the judge of the earth, worthy to judge the deeds of mankind. And when, G when the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days in verse 13, this refers to Jesus Christ at his resurrection receiving authority from God the Father. We don't have time to preach on that. Daniel will have to do that in the future. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, receiving his eternal kingdom. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this Son of Man, you're a part of his eternal kingdom. It will never pass away. It will never be destroyed. No human illness can take that away. No difficulties, no divisions, because the authority comes from the one who is called the Ancient of Days. What does it mean that God is the Ancient of Days? Well, let me be reverent, but let me be very simple. It means that God is very, very old. God's very, very old. So old that he doesn't even have a beginning. His days are ancient. As the ancient of days, he transcends all limitations of time. He's the everlasting God. He never had a beginning. He will never have an end. He exists in eternity. He dwells in eternity. Where does God live? We Eternity. There's no beginning and no end to our God. We, by contrast, all had a beginning. We are not eternal. So we live within the limitations of time. Therefore, when we face adversity, we get spiritual tunnel vision. We can only see right here in time. We naturally focus on the immediate, the now, the yesterday, the tomorrow. This is what leads to our fear and discouragement when the now isn't what we expected because we only see things in time. We see life a little bit like you watch a parade. 
I like parades. I really enjoy parades. Unfortunately, we haven't had as many of those in 2020. Uh, my birthday is on July 4th, and I often grew up going to a parade on my, on my birthday. It was a great day. And you watch those floats go by in the parade, the fire truck, the high school band, uh, the, old, the old cars, the trucks, and you'd see one float at a time you know, on the side of a crowded parade route. But if you look up, sometimes there's a news helicopter above the parade. And that news helicopter, from their perspective, sees the beginning of the parade and the end of the parade equally. They're not experiencing it one at a time. They see the whole thing. Now, every illustration of God's perspective or his sovereignty or his eternity is incredibly limited. I understand that. But it helps me to understand that God is not seeing my life one event at a time. God knows the end from the beginning and actually much greater than that helicopter in the sky. He's in full control of what's going on in my life. To gain proper perspective, to be comforted today, we have to look to the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. We'll look at some scripture passages, and it'll be a lot of them. And like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll send to Dan those so you can re refresh your uh, meditation on these. But we have a lot of troubled thoughts, and we have a lot of discouragement. Someone said, why is there 150 Psalms? because we have a lot of discouragements and we need 150 reminders that God is in control and He understands. So we will put practice today, biblical meditation. I'll give you some headings that we'll be going over, but just listen and let the truth of God change our perspective. I don't know what's heavy on your heart today. I don't know what's heavy on your mind. I can imagine based on some world events, but I don't know specifically, but I know that God's eternity, our perspective on who God is from beginning to end, always will give us perspective, encouragement, humility, and confidence in problems in time. First of all, let's just understand that the scriptures begin and end with God as the one who's everlasting. Don't pass over it. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. Before there was time, God existed. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they've existed in harmony and unity forever. The scriptures also end with God as the everlasting one. Revelation 1.8, the Lord God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 11 says, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. In the very end, Revelation 21, verses 5 and 6, it is the Alpha and Omega who gives to the thirsty soul, satisfaction. The one who is the beginning and the end. Verse 5 says, He who sat on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's what we're looking for as believers. In problems in time right now, we're looking for someone who's going to make it all new. He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. You see how God is grounding our encouragement in the future in his eternity. He's the ancient of days. From everlasting to everlasting. Revelation 22, 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. What greater comfort than that God is the beginning and the end, the eternal Lord. You say, how does God as the ancient of days actually give me comfort in the situations I'm in. 
one of the ways is remembering that this is not the first crisis God has helped his people through. This is not God's first difficulty. Genesis 3, he was there in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve's disobedience brought the whole creation under the curse of sin and death. And as believers, we actually can explain why we're facing the difficulties we are because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 17, it was the Ancient of Days, the eternal God who promised to Abraham an eternal inheritance. He said, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. I will be their God. Only an eternal God can promise an eternal promise of covenant. Notice the continuity in God's faithfulness to Abraham and then to his son Isaac. Genesis 26.3, God appeared to Isaac and said, I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. You see, an eternal God can speak to Abraham, can then speak to his son Isaac. He's the same God for both. He's the same God for us. Genesis 28, 13, and 15. Notice again the continuity of God's faithfulness to Abraham, to Isaac, and now to Jacob. God said to Jacob in a dream, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. I am with you wherever you go. The continuity of God's promises continued to Moses in Exodus 3. When Moses needed divine help to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, it was God's eternal existence that gave Moses the confidence he needed. You remember the story of the burning bush? The bush that was on fire but wasn't actually being burned? God spoke to Moses out of this fiery bush and he said, when they ask you who sent me or who sent you, tell them, I am has sent you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. They think that they're going to hold you down. They think they're going to hold my people down. Tell them there's an eternal God at work who's been here from the beginning and who will be here uh, through eternity future. I am. It is God's faithfulness in the past, his eternal existence, and his eternal help of his people that gives us confidence he will be our help and strength. Moses had one more encounter with the everlasting God. At the end of his life, he prayed and actually committed the people of Israel to the Ancient of Days, the everlasting God. This is what his prayer was. The eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. You see how his prayer pointed to God's eternity? But words of comfort, the eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses is the God who then became flesh in the purpose and the person of Jesus Christ. He came to bring us salvation. And when he came, he actually identified himself as this eternal God, the I am. In John chapter 8, Verses 56 through 58, he said, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Only an eternal God could say that. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. See, they're thinking in time. And you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, 
before Abraham was, what did he say? I am. I'm outside of the time that you're thinking in. You're thinking that I was born, and they said you're not yet 50 years old. We know he was, out, he was not even yet hardly 30 years old. And he said, you're thinking in time before Abraham was, I am. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. See how this comes up over and over and over again. Why? Because our anxieties, our worries, our discouragements, our short-sighted perspectives on events in time. But God is not limited by time at all. 2 Peter 3, 8 says, do not overlook this one fact. That, the, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and as a thousand years as one day. God existed before there was time. Psalm 91 through 4, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth of the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Jesus prayed, John 17, 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before this world existed. John 17, 24, You loved me before the foundation of the world. It should be a daily practice for us to zoom out and to see the eternity of God. Now, that's God's character being eternal, His nature being eternal, but what about his relationship with us? The Bible says that because God is sovereign, even his relationship with his creatures is something from eternity past. Ephesians 1.4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. God knew us, God chose us, even before the foundations of the world were laid by his voice. Say, well, what about the situations we're facing? I mean, there's a lot of a lot of things going on in our world that seem out of control. If there were ever a time to doubt that there's a God reigning on, on the throne of eternity, it might be now. You say, it seems like humans are messing it up. There's all kinds of things going on that, that you'd think God would uh, would change. God's sovereignty is everlasting. His control is is everlasting. Psalm 45, 6, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now, just by way of application, sometimes we can actually think about the, the time in which we live as a sort of parenthesis where God's not really in control. We read about Genesis 1 and we say he created the world. He was in control then. And then sin happened and Satan has, has gotten so, uh, so much power now. This is basically kind of a uh, of a parenthesis of time where God's not really in control right now. He's letting Satan do his own thing and men do their own thing and God's taking his hand off the wheel. And God will make it right in the future, but where we live right now is kind of a wild ride with, without God's sovereignty. And that's not true at all. God in his mercy and patience is allowing men to sometimes even sin against him out of patience and desire that they would come to repentance. God's more patient than I am. But God has not taken his hands off the wheel. God's sovereignty is from eternity past to eternity future. It will never have an end. Isaiah 41 says, Who has performed and done this? 
calling the generations from the beginning. I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am He. God's faithfulness is everlasting. Psalm 100 says the Lord is good. His faithfulness endures to all generations. Psalm 117.2, for great is His steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. God's power is everlasting. Psalm 66, 7, who rules by his might forever. Romans 1, 20 talks about God's eternal power. Now you hold in your hand a book that many would say is outdated. That's a reference to time. They would say it's old-fashioned. That's a reference to time. Or they would say that it has been corrupted over time. Or that it was written by men a long time ago. But we hold in our hand an eternal word. God's word is everlasting. Psalm 119, 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Mark 13. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 1 Peter 1, quoting, actually quoting Isaiah 40, says, All flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have an eternal gift of salvation. You have eternal life in Him. Hebrews 5, 9 says, Being made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation. One thing that will never be taken away by the year 2020 or the year 2021 is the eternal salvation for all who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe God's allowing the events we're facing to remind us of what we have that never changes in the midst of things that do. John 10, 28, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You say, I, I believe all of that, but I'm really struggling to be encouraged on a day-to-day -day basis. Let me tell you another eternal gift of the Lord is eternal joy. The joy of the Lord never has a beginning or an end. Isaiah 35.10, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, and everlasting joy shall be on their heads. Psalm 16.11, You make known to me the path of life in your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's love for you is everlasting. And we'll look at just these last couple of references and I'll have you turn to another passage. First Chronicles 16.34 Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Jeremiah 31.3 I have loved you with an everlasting love. For an illustration of God's everlasting love, I ask you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I don't know if you're familiar with this passage or not, but it's a wonderful story of God's faithful, everlasting love to His people through the prayer of their leader. In 2 Chronicles 20, the king of Judah was named Jehoshaphat. 
and three armies were joining together to come against Judah. Verse 3 gives us an example of how to face adversity. It says, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, but he set his face to seek the Lord, proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah, and assembled, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Maybe we'll look back on 2020 and say, man, there was a great difficulties, but the people of God came together to seek the Lord when these things happened. They gathered to fast and pray. This is how God's people respond to times of fear. And Jehoshaphat led in a prayer calling on the eternal God. He pointed specifically to God's eternity in his nature to encourage them in a problem of time and to ask for deliverance. Let me read some of this prayer for us. Verse 6. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Sounds like Daniel 7 with the ancient of days, doesn't it? In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Notice how he looks back to what God has done in the past. God, you've been here for us before. You've been faithful to the saints of old. We trust you to be faithful now. And verse 12 It's quite a verse to mark in your Bible. Come back to it when you need words of a prayer that you, that you can't come up with on your own. We are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, God. But one thing we do know to do, and we will do that, is look at you. Our eyes are on you. When Jehoshaphat prayed this, God's spirit came over a man named Jehaziel. And Jehaziel stood up and proclaimed, Do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. He is the ruler here. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeril. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. You say, well, why, why are you going to this passage when you're talking about the eternal God? It's just a good passage? No. Specifically here in a moment, when the time of the battle came, Jehoshaphat appointed people to fight? No. To sing. They go to battle and he appoints people to sing and to praise the Lord. He organized a worship service and the worship leaders began to praise the eternal God. Look at verse 21. This was their song. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. If God's steadfast love endures forever, it surely endures right now. That was the point. Do you think they needed to be fighting instead of singing? In the midst of a problem in time, they were praising the one who is forever. 
And what happens next shows the power of God. Verse 22, And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush around the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come up against Judah. So they were routed. The men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting themselves to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. God delivered by causing his enemies to destroy each other right in front of a worship service where Judah was praising the eternal God. There are no doubt that enemies are headed our way and we've already faced them recently. But whatever enemies may come our way, let them find us giving praise to our unchanging God. May our hearts sing, though through every change, he faithful will remain. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As we worship the eternal, unchanging God, we will see him faithfully deliver and strengthen us with a problem in time. I'm going to close by looking back to Daniel chapter 7. In verse 21, we see the end of the story. Actually, what verse 28 calls the end of the matter. Where will this lead? If we trust God in time, is He trustworthy? Will He actually deliver us? Will God's authority be seen visibly? Will we see wrong be made right? Verse 21, As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Seems like a time that we might be living in now. I believe this passage has applications both for now and in the future, so we understand this. Verse 22, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That's you. If you trusted in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, you're the people of the saints, the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. All dominions shall serve and obey Him. Here is the end of the matter. This is a passage, of course, that has implications for the future, but also for today. And we are confident that God's kingdom is an everlasting one. We, as God's people, will possess His kingdom long after the sufferings of this present life have passed away. We are followers of the ancient of days. And though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Let's pray together.